are now listening to The Prime Podcast, a show dedicated to exploring and investigating all things health, fitness, and performance related. When something is in its prime, it is at its best. This includes us as humans. Are you ready to take on the world? Then join us on this journey to live life in your prime. Welcome back to another episode of the Prime Podcast, where we do everything to help you find your prime. All right, a little bit of information before we get started. Recently, I have teamed up with a former coach of ours, Tyler Calasi, who is a doctor of physical therapy. He is out traveling out in California in the West Coast, and we have teamed up to advance our Prime Connect online offering. So if you're interested in getting some online programming, either as in a group training type setting where we create a program for you to follow for four to six weeks um, based off of some different ideas, whether that's a minimalist or you're doing it in a regular gym. We are there for you to help through that process with a private Facebook group as well to answer any questions there. We can also do some one-on-one training through our app, True Coach. And Tyler is there also um, taking on -on one-on-one clients to help you if you have a specific need or concern. Maybe you're coming off an injury, maybe you have a knee or hip that's been bugging you for a while, or maybe you just want to get uh, better and you want to be more competitive at a sport or at the sport of CrossFit. Um, we can help you there as well. And today, very excited, I have Tori Rizzucci hanging out. So she's been on a podcast before, but I think she only said three words. Today she's actually going to be somewhat of the host. She's going to flip the script a little bit, ask me some questions about nutrition, health, fitness, and all those things. So if you don't know Tori, Tori has her own little newsletter and that goes out a about once-ish a week, or once every week-ish, or every two weeks, or however she, whenever she's feeling quote-unquote motivated um, mm. to do the work. And it's very, uh, it is enlightening, and you get a, get a look into Tori's brain a little bit, which is a little bit different than what you would think on the surface. Uh, so it's very enlightening, <laughs> it's funny, it's entertaining. I enjoy reading them when they come out. Um, so take a look at that and go to... Uh, what's your website? RizzuciMedia.com or ToriRizzucci.com? ToriRizzucci. ToriRizzucci.com. And we'll put that on the show notes so you know how to spell it because a lot of people can't spell it even when they see it. <laughs> so we'll put that up there on the show notes to make sure you can take a look at it. In addition, uh, while I am building a list for my newsletter, I have not written one yet. So I'm looking to start writing one every Tuesday in the upcoming weeks, just trying to carve out some time to make that happen. So you can go to A. Mercurio, which people don't know how to spell my last name either. So we will put that in the show notes. Or you can check out us both on Instagram. Uh, mine's at A. Mercurio and Tori's is at T. Rizzucci. Tori Rizzucci. Oh, Tori Rizzucci too? Oh, two sorry. Two for two. Two for two. Over two, actually. Over two. two. Yeah, over two. All right. So without further ado, here we go. Here's Tori. Hi. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> so what do we got going on today? What are we going to talk about? Getting into fitness and staying consistent and crushing all the nerves you have when starting out. All right. So getting into fitness, staying consistent, and getting rid of any nervous anxieties you might have with being consistent and getting those things out of there. So what do we got first? What's the first topic of conversation or question that you have for me? Okay. So somebody once told me when you're starting out with all this stuff, whether it's exercising, nutrition, sleep, they said to do one by one. They said to start with exercise for a week, stay consistent, then start with sleep next week, stay consistent. Does that really work? Or should you try and tackle them all at once? Or is that too overwhelming? 
Um, I would think if, if you listen to a previous podcast, Jamie, uh, one of our previous podcast guests had talked about not making wholesale life changes all at once. So trying to do one, one thing at a time would be the way to go because if you try to do too much too soon, you end up uh, getting discouraged really, really early on. And then you have, you know, then you're not going to do anything. Right. So we want to make sure that we're, we're tackling something. And I would even say probably more than a week because you want to do that one thing and make that a habit. And so you don't have to think about that thing anymore before you go on to the next thing. So if I am starting exercise, I want to be able to do that. All right. Consistently, I don't have to think about exercise anymore. I take it off the table. Now I can start tackling nutrition, do that for a while. All right. I don't have to think about that so much anymore and then tackle the next thing. So definitely make doing that that procedure, but I would say a little bit longer than a week. But I think you need a little bit longer than a week to make it more of a habit, more of a routine. Is there one in terms of sleep, nutrition, exercise, is there one you should start with first? So I think for, first, I think the would probably give you the most bang for your buck um, might actually be sleep. So if we're not sleeping well, it actually messes up everything else. And you're actually, you can't really exercise and, and see the benefits from it if you're not sleeping well. And in terms of your nutrition, if we're not sleeping enough, right, we have different cravings for different things at different times and it throws off our hormonal balances for different things. So it ends up actually screwing up our nutrition and the things that we want to eat as well. So if we want to really tackle something first, it would definitely be sleep. Okay. That's kind of the hardest, though, a little bit, if you think about it. Um, yeah, sleep. I mean, in our in our society, I think we had just talked about it. Tori was talking about, like, oh, I'm off air a little bit. I'm trying to go to bed, you know, before 10 p.m. every night or at 10 p.m. every night. And then something comes up. Tori's younger, so she has friends who are up late, and they want to call oh. her and <laughs> text her and do things in the evening. And it's very difficult when... You, there's people that want to do stuff and then you start, you know, for many young people, they have like FOMO and they want to go out and hang out and do that sort of stuff. And then they have something to do the next morning where they have to wake up. So if you're functioning on four or five hours of sleep, that's going to, you know, throw off everything else. Yeah. I mean, I have three friends, so let's not get like yeah, more than three. Let's friends. not get crazy. But I mean, you talk about making them a habit and everybody knows that like, quote unquote habit takes 21 days. Does mm -hmm. it really take 21 days or it takes you being dedicated to actually turn it into a habit? However many days it yeah, takes. Yeah, it takes as long as it takes. There's no real specific time. The easier the thing, obviously the, the, the less time it takes, the more difficult it is. And obviously in James Clear's book, he talks about never, never miss twice. So once we do something like he, he classifies something as a habit is like almost like once you do it like three or four days in a row. Right. And then once you miss once, if you get back on, you're good. But if you miss twice, you're creating a bad, you're, you're flipping your habit to something else. So let's say if I'm, my goal is to sleep, go to sleep at 10 PM every night and Monday through Friday, I do it Saturday. I go to bed at midnight, but then Sunday I go back to 10. So I'm still on my habit. So what happens now, if I go Monday through Thursday at 10, Friday at midnight, Saturday at midnight, now I'm breaking my habit because I've missed twice in a row now. And on Sunday, now it might be like 11 but it's still not 10. So then I start going in this slippery slope where now, now every night it turns into 1030 or 11 or 1130 or 12. And then before I know it, I'm going to bed at midnight every night. That's my life right now. That's Tori's life. I, I just off. described it. We didn't talk about it beforehand. I got off of the train and now I'm, now I'm stuck. Exactly. So there's the idea that you never want to miss twice, right? So once is okay, but quickly get back onto your routine and into your habit and do that. 
I got major FOMO. That's a real thing. So I think that's why, why it happens. But yeah. now I make my bed now. That's my habit. In the f- 20 years of my life, I just started making my bed. In the morning? In the morning. Oh. They say that's a, one of the, the best things to do. If I don't, I feel crazy. Yeah. I feel gross now. Never thought that would happen to me. Yeah. So that's, so that's a good habit to have, right? And then even just the FOMO thing, I mean, I never had it personally, even through college. Like, I've never been the person who's like, oh, I need to go out because I'm going to miss something that's happening or do with, you know, whatever. I've always been, I wouldn't say regimented, but kind of in my own little little thing where I, I knew what I wanted to to do and accomplish. And if I didn't want to go out, I didn't go out. Or if I didn't want to do something, I didn't do it. I mean, I don't go out. Yeah, I, don't, I know what you mean. But I, I mean, like, I think social media has made the FOMO a little bit. Obviously, it grows. Not that you think you're going to go party with whoever's partying there, but it's kind of like I want to get every message and every notification and read it as soon as it pops up. Yeah. So a thing that I did probably six, maybe even more now, is I turned off all the notifications on my phone. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing the notification that's there now is um, text messages. So that's the only one that it's actually on my phone. So when you open my phone, that's the only thing that has red dots. Other than that, there are no little red dots floating around, so I don't get to see it unless I actually go into the app and do that thing. So it kind of limits that because if I look, I'm like, oh, I don't have any messages. How wonderful. No emails. I do the same thing, but it still takes me like five business days to respond to texts. Yeah. Just don't have the energy. Five business days. So that means if you text on the weekend, don't expect to get it until Friday. No. <laughs> well, speaking of sleep and notifications, do you sleep with your phone on Ringer? Um, No. My oh. phone is never on Ring. Okay. Uh, I don't think my phone's been on Ring since nine, since 2001. I was going to say 1997, but 19, I don't think I had a phone. Because whenever I bring up, like, hey, I'm trying to go to sleep early and whatever, and they're like, do you keep your phone on? And I do. I keep it on full volume every single night. Why? I don't know. I think it's a FOMO thing. I think somebody important is going to call me, and I'm going to be asleep, and I'm going to miss it. But what, what would happen at that time that would? Nothing. It's just mental. It's all mental. My phone's actually in a different room, too. So you get up when your alarm goes off? Yeah. Oh, I'd hate to live in that house if you didn't get up one day and it just kept going off. Well, I get up. That's the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I mean, I do it intentionally because I also have my alarm set so it, I can't snooze it. Yeah. So on your iPhone, you can make it so your alarm has no snooze option. So I do that and then I put it in a different room. So then when it goes off, I have to physically get out of bed and I have to go and turn it off and get out of bed and do what I have to do. I mean... I do that too. I set three alarms, no snooze. Going back to fitness though, because yes, we kind of got a little sidetracked. All right. I like to run. Yes. I've had some issues with running over the past, which shin splints that and the other thing. So I kind of take the a lot other of thing, just knees, oh. legs, lazy, mm-hmm. all, all of it. So when I go back, when I take long breaks, especially in the winter, cause I don't like running on the treadmill. That's when my shin splints are the worst. I, how fast should I be starting out? Should I be running every day? If I feel good, should I be running every day? Should I still be taking breaks? Absolutely not. You should not be running every day. I wouldn't recommend running every day for anybody. Even somebody who, you know, even when I used to coach track and field where running was their main thing, we very rarely um, like ran every day. Like we, while we did some running things, we didn't run every day. We did certain days where we just worked on skills and drills, but it wasn't like, full poor run, like with my track and field athletes, how we would run three times a week. You know, we would do two hard workouts and usually have a track meet on the weekends. Those were mm-hmm. our big running days. The other days were strength training, technical stuff, you know, so on and so forth. So I don't, wouldn't recommend, like I said, I wouldn't recommend running at, for anybody every mm-hmm. day. 
And I think the reason is, is because what you just said is because they can lead to things like that, like shin splints. Shin splints are just, they're an overuse injury. They're from pounding the pavement and doing things over and over again and your body not being ready for it yet. So you find that that also happens a lot with cross-country athletes or soccer athletes or any fall sport athlete in high school when they come back from the summer and they haven't done anything and their coaches run them into the ground for the first two or three weeks. So you start seeing those overuse injuries where they have lower, lower leg injuries, their ankles, their knees, their shins, they all get kind of beat up. And then, you know, going from there, it becomes a little bit more difficult. When I first started running, however many years ago, just leisurely, of course, um, and I get shin splints and whatever, I think we ultimately think it's just something that you have to go to a physical therapist for, you have to go to a doctor for, you have to see if there's a bone issue. When I ran like last week, you texted me and said, be careful, which I thought was so nice. And then I said, I said something about something possibly hurting. You said you have to work on your butt. So how, I mean, ultimately you have to convince people, especially people of like that middle age range that somebody in the fitness industry can help you before you have to go see a doctor. Right. So, I mean, I think the, the most important thing, like I, I, because we did some assessments a long time ago, I know that you have some movement imbalances and strength imbalances. You know, we watched you, I, we talked about your lunge and different things like oh, that. My hip. Yeah. So your <laughs> hip. So, you know, when we're running and we're doing things, uh, a lot of things are about applying force into the ground. And when we're running, and especially if you, you know, depending on how long you run, you got, you, you got to think how many times your foot hits the ground and where's all that force going. So if, you know, the knee gets a lot of, um, the knees and the hips, joints especially, get a lot of like negative attention that people have pain in. But a lot of times the pain there results from like poor muscle development or weak muscles in the hips or in the, the, the foot, essentially. So you're, if your ankles don't work right and your hips don't work right, the knee's in like the middle of the, the two. So it gets, some, gets beat up like that. And I think what's important is to do, especially for runners, um, because they don't go through full ranges of motion a lot of times, so they don't know, and they're a lot of times very, very tight in their musculature. So I think going to a knowledgeable strength and conditioning coach as part of your training routine can help mitigate any issues that might arise as opposed to waiting until you have shin splints or waiting until you have some of those things and then going to see a physical therapist to try to resolve those after the fact. Because then what happens is the physical therapist or the doctor is going to say like, hey, you should probably take like six to eight weeks off running to allow yourself to heal. Because if you don't, your shin splints can turn into stress fractures. And then you have to, then you're going to be really, you know, laid up for a long period of time because they're going to put you in a boot and they're going to say you can't do anything because you have a fracture of your, your lower leg and then you're not going to be able to do anything. So you want to make sure that you can, you know, find a strength coach or somebody who is knowledgeable in that. And even if it's a physical therapist or a chiropractor who, who has knowledge in the running community or running world or whatever it is, you can go to them and do preventative care is always going to be better than reactive or afterwards care. What are the majority or how many people do you see that have that issue, whether it's running or something different, something that they're doing, they're focusing on one thing and they're getting hurt, are reluctant to come to somebody like you? Like, do you, do you have to do convincing or eventually you're just like, whatever, if you don't get it, you don't get it? I would say the majority of people think that going to a physical therapist or the chiropractor or the doctor, like the general practitioner, is always going to be better than a strength coach. I just think that's the... 
where we're at in our society right now. And I, you know, and rightfully so, I mean, with everything though, there is always a good and a bad. So, you know, a general practitioner might tell you not to do anything. Whereas a physical therapist might give you some things to do on your own and then you know, let you be in your way. And the same thing, you know, everybody. So I think it's always going to be important to, yes, I do have to sell myself a little bit to let people know that like what I know about, so to speak. But a lot of times at this point in my career, a lot of people know what I know, if that makes sense. So they have an idea like, oh, Anthony can help me with this sort of thing. He's helped so-and-so, you know, like then you start building that reputation of being able to help people who are going through something similar. People will start to come to you for those things versus the other way around. If I have to like go to people and convince them all the time, um, you know, that becomes more difficult. And it's not, and for, for me, a lot of times I feel like it's just, it's not worth the effort to try to convince somebody that this way is the way, because it's, it's very difficult to convince somebody and change their mind about something. A little side note, because you said you have to sell yourself. Mm-hmm. I'm in a lot of marketing and advertising classes in college. Do you feel like word of mouth locally or social media has helped sell again, sell you better? Which one do you think has brought more to you? Well, social media, we haven't been doing a great job with doing that stuff. And I think I use social media huge to educate people on like the knowledge that I have, I guess, by presenting certain things. It's just ways for me to, you know, articulate and showcase, I guess, some of the things that I I do with people and how I can help people. Um, That's helped minimally recently. Um, I think with the influx of certain things and I've been more, more active on there, I have been getting more clients personally from Instagram. Um, but I think initially for the gym, for prime movement performance as a whole, I think most of it is comes from uh, personal word of mouth of people who are having success here. And then they tell their friends, they tell their family and then they come more trustworthy. Yeah. It's always going to be, you know, like, and that's why I think with the, you know, in the marketing thing, they would call it like a cold lead versus like a warm lead versus, you know, different things like cold leads or somebody who doesn't really know anything about you. They just come out, they see your, your, a post and they come and they, they send a, a file or they send a, a lead form to you. And then you have to like kind of talk to them and tell you about your stuff. You know, and you have a warm lead, like somebody who already knows about you, somebody who has a friend or friends who come to the gym and they come into the gym, they're already ready to sign up. There's nothing you have to do to them for them or do anything because they have all the information they need and they just want to sign up and get going. So I think there's a difference between the, the two there and um, the cold leads, like somebody who just follows you on Instagram is just somebody who's like checking you out. And then you have to build that reputation yeah. and that trust with that person that you actually do know what you're doing. And then maybe eventually three, four, five, six months from now, they might actually, you know, reach out to you for some more help. Sell yourself as the Renaissance man. That's what I used to call you. Oh yeah. I am. Yeah. The I, Renaissance yeah. Tori used to call me the Renaissance man. But uh, yeah, I mean, I guess sell yourself in terms of, of uh, just promote like self-promotion, I guess, and trying to edu- like I said, educate people on what you know, because they don't, nobody knows what you know, unless you tell them. True. You don't know till you know. Yeah. The more you know, actually, that was the, that's the one. We talked about it before we started recording, but the mentality of staying on one program and not getting frustrated that within a week, there's no results. Mm-hmm. How do you think you develop that mentality? Because it's pretty hard for a lot of people. Yeah, I think, I think just to understand that, there are some changes that have to happen in your body, like physiological inside of your body changes and they take time. You know, if you're changing your nutrition plan, 
when you were going to, let's say we're going to a lower carb diet and we're trying to be a keto, for example, to, for your body to change the way that it uses energy. If you're not familiar with keto, essentially you're trying to use, you're going from using carbs as your primary or your first line of energy to fats. So your body's just not going to all of a sudden, you know, I stopped eating carbs today. I'm not going to just switch to using fats tomorrow. Like there has to be some processes that happen inside of your body that have to make that change happen. So you need to give it some good time. The same thing with muscle mass or building strength and things like that. Like you need to do things for a couple of weeks for your body to adapt to the to challenges that you do. So for example, let's say today, you know, Tori goes out for a run and tomorrow she wakes up a little bit sore, a little bit this, a little bit that. So that's her body's reacting to that stimulus. So she did something that's new. She hasn't done it in a while, right? Maybe she's the first time after winter, you know, whatever. Her body does some changes. Now the body kind of sits and waits. Is she going to run again? Do we need any of these things that we just used? You know, because then it now builds up to go get ready to run again. And then if you don't run again, the body gets rid of it, right? So then if I go run a week later, the body builds those, those old things back up that they did the first time. And then if they don't use it again for another week, then it goes away. So, you know, the, the most time you want in between sessions is like three to four days, right? Because after that, your body starts to get rid of what it doesn't use. You know, they use it or lose it type of mentality. And the same thing happens with muscle mass. So if I'm training and I'm doing a lot of push-ups today, my body gets sore and rebuilds itself. So then in a couple of days, I can do more push-ups. And it keeps doing that over and over again. So you have to give your body time to continually build and rebuild and repair itself and to be able to do more. And then that time to build muscle takes time and to build strength takes time because every time you do that, it's not going to go from being able to do one push-up to being able to do 100 push-ups overnight. It's going to go from being able to do one push-up to two push-ups, from two push-ups to three push-ups, to three push-ups to four push-ups. It doesn't like double. It doesn't do anything. It goes up incrementally, right? Because it's only going to give you as much as you need to do the same thing and to challenge it the same way that it was challenged before. And then it's going to be a gradual increase. So it just takes time for things to go in. And just, I think understanding that is huge for people to be able to stick to a program long enough for you to actually see and feel those changes that are happening inside. You mentioned soreness mm -hmm. and I think people just beginning out either go two ways. They're too sore and they don't know why, but obviously their body hasn't moved like that. So it's kind of easy to figure that one out. But if you're exercising and you're not sore, I think a lot of people think that's an indicator that they're not working out hard enough. Not true. So debunk it right now. Yeah. Do it. So the first thing, you shouldn't be too sore. The other day I was working with a personal training client and he came back two days later. He did a Monday, Wednesday. And he was like, I was just the right amount of sore. A little bit sore that I knew I did something, but not too sore where I couldn't sit on the toilet. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. people have gotten sore like that before. They can't sit on the toilet. They can't walk upstairs. They can't do something. Yeah. So usually if you're that sore, that's an indicator that you did too much too soon. Okay. And that doing too much too soon can result in a couple ways, early plateaus or early injuries, right? Because you're, you're like we were talking about with the overuse injury. Like if, if Tori was to go and run three miles every day, she would, without a doubt, by the end of the week, have shin splints because she did too much too soon, mm -hmm. right? So that's the injury part of it that could come into place. Now, if you're not sore, there could be a couple of reasons for that. Now, so if I'm not sore, it could be because I'm doing too much of the same things, right? And again, overuse. So if I were to always do the same exercise routine over and over and over and over and over again for a whole year, 
I probably wouldn't get sore anymore. And my body might actually deteriorate in some ways, I guess is the right way to say it. So like if I'm trying to build my legs, I do the same leg workout every day. After like six to eight to 12 weeks, and I'm doing the same thing over and over again, my body might start to be like, hey, this is, this is like our regular routine now. So I might not need as much stuff because I'm so used to this. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, whereas if I create some minor changes and I switch like the way I load the weight, the way that the rep scheme that I do, or if I go slower or faster, that could be enough of a change to make you just feel a little bit of soreness, like you changed it up a little bit. So a little bit of soreness or a little bit of achiness is definitely, you know, needed, not necessarily needed to be there, but you should know that you did something, whereas it shouldn't feel like, hey, I just, it's just the same old, same old type of thing. Makes sense. Yeah. Wouldn't be running three miles every single day of the week, but. You get my point. I got you. All right. The nutrition was the other thing. Um, and again, we talked a little bit about before, but I think a lot of people, like meal prepping is really big now, mm-hmm. obviously. Not that it always hasn't, but you hear a lot of talk around it, obviously being at a gym. And we talked about when you're first starting out, do you go in blindly and not worry about the numbers or do you worry about the numbers to start because we like we said we don't want anybody to end up living by numbers right and i think it's important like when we we had we didn't used to do this but now in the gym we try to get everybody who comes in the gym first to get an in body body composition analysis and the reason for that is because yes there's a number on the scale because it gives you a weight but it also gives you something else which is super important which is your percent body fat So if I never know that, and let's say we came in and I weighed 150 pounds today and in three months, I still weighed 150 pounds. I'd be like, man, I'm not seeing any change or any, any results. But if I were to do an in-body and I weighed 150 pounds and I had 50 pounds of muscle and my percent body fat was 30%, just throwing out some random numbers here. And three months later, I was 100, still 150 pounds, but now I had 70 pounds of muscle and my percent body fat was 20%. That 150 pounds is, my, my body has a recomposition, right? So now I've changed the way that my body is made up. That 150 pounds is different. So when it comes to nutrition, it's important to track, take a look at exactly what we're doing for a short period of time. So then we have something to base it off of. And to see exactly what we're eating. Because a lot of people are like, oh, I'm eating, you know, 1,200 calories. And then you start breaking it down. And like, no, you're actually eating like 2,500 because you didn't count your glass of wine, you know, and the, the combo, the combos you were eating at night when you didn't, weren't paying attention and the popcorn and all that kind of stuff. It starts to add up. So people think that a lot of people undervalue how much they're eating. And I think that's the big thing because they don't really know. So they might put like a portion of what they think is potatoes on their plate. And it's really like three servings instead of the one that they thought it was, you know, when you have, you ever check the back of a bowl of cereal, a serving of cereal is like a half a cup. And I don't know anyone in their right mind who's only eating a half a cup of cereal. You're probably eating like two cups of cereal, right? Like I'm talking like two measurement cups, you know, and then you put milk, you know, so you start looking at these things and we find that we are grossly underestimating how much we're actually consuming. So it's super important to get that data point to see exactly what I'm eating. So then I can make the changes that I need to make. That makes sense. Makes sense to me. Yeah. Because like, you know, we had talked about, yeah, we don't want you to be so engrossed in the numbers where they occupy your whole life and you're out to dinner with a scale. 
But I, we do want you to have a general idea of like, okay, so when I measure it for a little bit, I can kind of estimate, and I'm pretty close at estimating like what four to six ounces of chicken looks like. But you have to know what it looks like before you can know what it looks like. Yeah. You know, you actually have to weigh it specifically to see like roughly what that is. And if you know it's supposed to have six ounces of chicken, you can have a good idea of what six ounces of chicken looks like. I just go with my eyes when I meal prep. Your eyes are liars. <laughs> just get a Tupperware and try and do three different sections of stuff. Well, that's a good way to do it as long as you're doing certain things, but you might be under or over at certain things that you might be able to dial in a little bit more. A lot of people think carbs are scary, mm -hmm. but we need certain ones, don't we? We're debunked that right now, too, well, because yeah, that's a carbs. question. Yeah, that we is. need carbs. Um, so carbs are huge, and I think we've had a few people come in recently who are doing, you know, I'm trying to, you know, just talk to them and, and, and understand that, like, hey, yes, I can, if I'm going keto, keto is like 20 grams of carbs per day or less, which is honestly like 20 grams of carbs, like under a slice of bread for a whole day of carbs. And that's no fruit, no anything else. That's, that's it. So when we're doing that, we want to make sure that we have these certain things that are in place because if I'm trying to exercise, I need, like we just talked about, we need carbs and carbs are actually huge to building muscle as well, which is some people don't think people think carbs are just there for energy purposes, but we need carbs for, for to build muscle as well. So we do need a certain amount of carbs to be a uh, part of our life. Now, I think the problem is that a lot of people, when we do eat carbs, we eat the quote unquote wrong kind and we're not eating like the unprocessed, you know, whole, whole carbs that we want people to have and like our slow digesting carbs, you know, like we're talking like our potatoes and our rices and our oatmeals and things like that. A lot of us are eating, you know, stuff that's highly processed, like our pastas and breads, which are not going to have the same mechanisms inside as the other ones would be. So if we're talking like, um, I had this conversation with somebody recently. So if we go to chemistry class, if you remember high school chemistry class, you know, I and didn't make it there. You didn't make it to chemistry <laughs> class. Well, if you went to chemistry class, right, there's like single bonds, double bonds and triple bonds and so on and so forth. Right. And we look at the compositional makeup of nutrients like carbohydrates, fats, proteins, so on and so forth. Like the things that sit in our stomach the longest that take the longest to digest, they have more bonds. Like a triple bond is obviously more difficult to break down than a single bond, mm. right? So if you have three chains, it's harder to break than one chain, right? Yeah. Yeah. So your body needs more time <laughs> to digest it. So fats, right, um, take more time to digest. And then, you know, proteins take a long time to digest. Carbohydrates don't take as much time to digest and to get through your system, especially like the simple sugars, right? Like the, the candies and the, the fruits and things like that, they go through pretty quick. Those would be fast digesting carbs, whereas the complex ones are you know, like the, the, the starches and things like that, that are whole and minimally processed. So carbs, definitely necessary integral part of your day to day, but just be conscious. I think a lot of people over consume carbs. I think that's where people run into issues is because they eat way too many. Like I said before, the idea that mashed potatoes, like we should only really be having like a, a cup full of our hand. And then people are having like a... It's a hard one to limit. Yeah, a whole, like a whole bowl of mashed potatoes. Like I had this conversation. Like I've been, I have a six-year-old, um, for those who don't know. And uh, every day we try to get them to eat, you know, like a protein, a, a carb, and a veggie, and, and a fat at meals. And the other day we tried to have... I had a conversation with her explaining the differences between the nutrients and the, the macronutrients. 
And we were talking about mashed potatoes and how much she should have. And she had way too, you know, like I was joking with her that she should only have a scoop full of her hand. And so she goes on her plate and she scoops the whole thing of mashed potatoes. (laughs) She like grabs it and puts it on her hand. I was like, all right, so you can't have the rest of them that doesn't fit in your hand. So we started talking and having fun with the different ways that, you know, and how much food that we should be eating and building those routines in as, at a young age for her and teaching her like what proteins are and why it's important to eat those and what carbs are and why it's important to eat those and what veggies do and why it's important to eat those. Starting young and building those habits. And I think that's what a lot of us, we get to at adulthood and we have uh, a lot of bad information in our heads that we have to kind of debunk, so to speak, and get back into a, a position where we are doing things in a, a positive way. Last, my last thing for you, and I'm going to pull an Anthony Mercurio right now and pull out a James Clear quote that I found a long time ago. Earlier we were talking about motivation only does, only gets the ideas flowing. Like mm-hmm. I'm motivated to look like Jennifer Aniston, but I can't do anything about it right exactly. until I act on it. So he says, we want solutions, but what we really need are attitudes. Attitude precedes outcome. So what are your thoughts on action and dedication and attitude coming before motivation or inspiration? Yeah, I think having a, a positive attitude towards something is is huge, right? I think there's an old book called The Secret, if you've ever read that or seen. There's, a, I think there's a, like a weird Netflix movie about it, but it's all about positive thinking. And, you know, like when you put positive energy out into the universe, most of the time good things come back. So having a positive attitude, you know, like, we, like what is the quote? So you have results, you want solutions. You want solutions, you want solutions, but you don't have the attitude. Right. So you have the salute. You want solutions. Everyone wants a solution. Like we talked about before, off air a little bit, like everybody's motivated to do something or everyone wants to be something. Nobody wants to, you know, everybody wants to win. You know, every athlete wants to win. Every athlete wants to get better. Everybody wants to do certain things. That's motivation. But the actual attitude that's needed to do that thing and to start the action to do that thing is what we're missing, right? So the positive attitude or the idea of the attitude that you would need to create that environment, which I think is huge, to then do the thing that you're trying to do. And then once you can create the attitude and the action, you start to see some results, which then those results can kind of create more motivation to continue on that path until you get to whatever it is. James Clear also talks about not having outcome-based goals, but process-oriented goals. So not your goal shouldn't be to lose 10 pounds, but your goal should be to like create the processes that would result in a 10 pound loss. So a process that might do that would be like going to the gym three times a week, you know, minimizing uh, simple carbohydrates, eating a salad at every meal. So these are the processes that you can build into your routines that if you did all of them would inherently result in 10 pound loss. So not having the 10 pound loss is my goal, but having all the processes that would allow me to do that would actually be my goal or my habit building procedure. Yeah. I mean, the further quote says you don't need abs, but rather an attitude of training and we all want abs. So gotta, do we, I don't know. You know, everybody talks about wanting abs, but some people are okay with them hibernating. Yeah. Everyone has abs though. I had a conversation with somebody in the gym the other day that we were talking about one of the prime PE kids. Oh, he was talking about how (laughs) asking if everyone had abs and everyone does have abs, but some are just more visible than others. I call mine hibernating. Yeah, Tories are hibernating. They hurt. You just can't see them. (laughs) 
That was it. That's that was all it. I had for you. Awesome. Hey, that's perfect because we're at 35 minutes, which is just the sweet spot for these short ones. And hopefully that was some knowledge there for you to, to carry on and to move forward because consistency is always going to win out no matter what it is. If you're consistently um, working out, if you're consistently eating well, if you're consistently doing whatever it is, that's what's going to breed whatever outcome or result that you're looking for. All right. Or maybe you're not looking for. So if you're doing something consistently, <laughs> if you're consistently eating uh, three pounds of French fries every day, the result of that is going to be, you know, potentially increased body fat, you know, be lethargic with your energy, so on and so forth. But, you know, it is what it is. But our, so our consistency, our consistent habits and routines are going to lead to the results. And we have to just kind of flip those around a little bit. Words of wisdom. Words of wisdom. And that's all we got for today. Um, so thanks for hanging out again for another episode of the Prime Podcast. And hopefully uh, you can take have something there that you can take away that'll help you find your Prime. Until next time. 